Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. I hope you had a great weekend and welcome back to The Truth About Local Government. Today we are delighted to have Richard Auger, former political leader, senior police leader and tactical firearms commander. Quite uh, quite a combination of skill sets. Um, and I, I'm really interested to talk um, to, to Richard because Richard has, um, he was leader of the council um, uh, during a, a very interesting period um, in both local Northamptonshire recent history, but also in the context of what I kind of consider to be the start of the Section 114 era. Um, so Richard, without any further ado, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to see you. And love to see you too, um, and, and, to, and to speak with you as well. Um, so I think for those people at home, could you give me a bit of background as to that journey where you came into Daventry and then the Max Keller report? That would be really, I think it's a really interesting um, kind of uh, period in time. And, and as we've said, kind of off air that has really shaped your experience. Yeah, having retired from from 30 years in policing, um, I, I was I was keen on carrying on public service, but I wasn't too sure that I wanted to continue in a sort of officer role. I wanted to probably look at the more strategic side, the political side. I'm naturally a conservative, although I wouldn't say I'm an extreme conservative. I like to consider myself a caring conservative. Um, And I'm passionate about public service and about ensuring that um, what people pay for, they get. So uh, coming into politics seemed refreshing because, of course, as a police officer, I can't belong to a political party. So I think my first political um, activity was was posting some some leaflets for the local uh, councillor in in my estate when I lived in in Oxfordshire, um, which was quite liberating in many ways. Um, I then sort of moved up here um, to Northamptonshire um, to be closer to my children. And as a result of that, I decided to stand as a district councillor at Daventry and was fortunate enough to get elected in 2015. And and that was a really great experience because I went into what I would consider a very well run um, politically and administratively council. It was it was. had reserves, it, it was uh, living within its budget. And I thought that this um, councillor business was really easy. You know, we would uh, sit and debate and, and and not really at the level of politicians in parliament. I think there's no real place for party politics in local politics because everything is, is so um, locked down with regard to the amount of monies you have, your ability to raise revenue and what you can spend that money on. It's pretty limited. Um, it's interesting that so just 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 for one second on that piece there, because I think that's one thing that I think the people at home who don't aren't involved in local government politics as on a political side. So how does that work? And so you're a leader of the council, but there are opposition parties. Are you working collaboration with across parties? Does it not really feel or is it almost one council rather than having different tribes, as it were, within the, the council? 
I think there will always be amongst um, uh, people who are politically act active, especially when we come to elected members, for them to um, conduct themselves like hardened MPs in, in, in a local council setting. You'll always get the individuals that like the political um, uh, banter. Uh, but, but the reality is, is this that you work mostly with collaboration. We had one a Liberal Democrat, a member of Daventry District Council, who um, was highly respected and, 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 and her council highly sought to. Um, although we had different political views, that, that doesn't really enter into local politics because, as I said, you know, you have a limited budget and you have um, certain services that you are, are mandated to supply. So. So it's just a case of ensuring that you keep within those budgets as best you can, bearing in mind uh, demand rising and, and cost of living uh, uh, increasing. So, so I would say that, that so although there are political, you know, blatantly political attacks, uh, they're pretty muted because there's no, there's nowhere else to go on it. There's, there's no real discussion about ideologies because you're too busy trying to ensure the public get the services they pay for. Absolutely. And in, in terms of then, so this, the, the lived experience. So for those at home, Max um, Caller or Caller CBE was brought in to essentially do a, a review of the, the financial and governance management of Northamptonshire County Council, which was a, a very significant turning point in, in local governments in terms of um, them hitting the wall, as it were, financially. What was that like for yourself as leader of Daventry? I mean, was was, was there a lot of anxiousness Um well, just to give some context to your listeners, uh, Matt, I am, so I was a Daventry District Councillor. I became sort of leader in sort of 2019, although I did hold a housing and environment portfolio from 2017. I actually then joined, so I was known as a dual hatter. I then joined uh, uh, Northamptonshire County Council in 2017. So I then joined you know, coming from Daventry District Council, which was this incredibly well run, you know, kept within budgets to this sort of storm that was going on at county where I don't know whether Max Caller had been uh, employed on the investigation was going on, but it was certainly near that time because, of course, in 2018, everything hit the fan. Um, you know, with people resigning, the report being published, et cetera, et cetera. So I arrived there and, and there was some serious financial problems. Now, um, some of those financial problems were as a result, in my opinion, of the way that the council had been led by the officers. I think some of the so-called experiments of structure were put in place, which, which caused financial stress. So, of course, you had that problem. You then had the reality of, with all councils, that revenue comes from from income from local taxes, which, of course, you're a little bit restricted on as a local authority as to what you can demand from the public. Then you have, obviously, the government grants, uh, which become or decrease as time goes on. And then finally, of course, you have income generation, which, which may or may not be possible, depending on what ventures you have as a council. But there, ha there had certainly been some mismanagement, um, without a doubt. I think Max Caller calls that out. But I think, of course, um, the senior politicians and, 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 and the government then focus in on that and don't really face up 
to the reality of, well, actually it is that, but it's also other things that contribute to um, a, a, a council overspending um, monies, public monies, and then ending up in a position where um, the uh, government appointed commissioners need to be called in. Uh, there, there, there isn't just one cause, but unfortunately for Northamptonshire, mismanagement was there. And of course, everyone then um, focused in on that as, and then, you know, people were sacked and, 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 and the commissioners came in. It had to be a fall guy in a way to... Uh... Yeah, I think that's really sad in, in politics because, of course, you can see all the, the, the local actors, the local um, MPs all turning on um, the leader. Um, and just you know, you know that 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 political leader was was accountable, and and obviously the chief executive were accountable um, to some way. But that wasn't the complete answer. Had had they not made the, their mistakes, I think I, I I wonder what would have happened. Would they have gone after them, or or would they have realised that actually, wait a minute, this is a structural issue. You know, we 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 uh, the public demand services. You know, that there are there are. There are vulnerable children out there. There are there are there are people that need adult services. You know these really important, critical services for people's well-being. Uh, and then we have a funding process, which is which is short-sighted. It's it's uh, the government trying not to to give as much money as they can, or, or, or not to tax the people as much as they can. Of course, being a conservative, I I don't necessarily believe in low taxes. I believe in fair taxes, fair taxes for the for the rich, for the middle income, for the poor, for, for business. If we get the taxes fair and, and, and then that can fund the, the much needed public services we need, then if that's low and we do everything we can to keep it low, then I'm totally signed up for that. But sometimes you, you have to get in the, the revenue to pay for these services. And of course, in, in local government, it, it, you have so many responsibilities and so many um, Vulnerable people to look after. That some of these um, budgets can't can't really be set at the beginning of a fiscal year. For instance, vulnerable children. If you have a load of um, children in need of special services that come onto your patch or or, or you are responsible for, and, and you can't budget for that because it's an unknown uh, event in the future. But if it comes your way, you are expected to pay for it, and, and rightly so because these people need looking after. So of course, if you haven't got the money, then you've got to start either cutting, um, or or finding some other innovative way of, of of ensuring that funds are moved across to pay for for these mandatory and essential services. I think the thing for me is, you know, and, and the message is is the same with everyone I speak to, regardless of their political observation, political kind of stance, uh, their position is the financial. Um, the financial status and health of a lot of organisations and local government across the UK is so uh, it's tiptoeing on the edge. It's on a knife edge. And, you know, like you said there. Things that are unexpected that come in have the potential to completely, you know, uh, put a council into into financial disarray. I mean, I mean, I, I can't I don't know enough or I've only read the very minimal amounts about this. But what you're seeing with the cement at the moment with schools, you know, so for councils that still you know retain uh responsibility for that for the schools etc in their area that haven't been academized you know, that cost could be absolutely ginormous but again i think one of the things and i want to go back to what you said there uh, before we're talking about the accountability and, and where blame was was laid at, at northamptonshire i think sometimes the difficulty is um 
when there is an it's very difficult to to relate to the public and there is almost a feel that the, the public wants to know why this has happened but because sometimes i think there is it's it's difficult to it's not a simple answer a lot of the information which i think is relevant to provide a well-rounded answer isn't given um and i think that's one of the questions how do you relay information to a a community uh, on complex issues where people are busy and have their own lives and it's a really challenging one there's not a simple answer to that but that's one of the reasons why as well that I wanted to do this podcast Richard so was that you know people who don't work in local government can understand the complexities and actually the the toll it takes because it must take a huge emotional toll on both the political and officers that you saw and worked with there in terms of you know trying to keep a, a sinking ship running because you know that it's not necessarily the politicians or the officers that'll be affecting their personal life if it, if the if the organisation was to you know uh, not be able to deliver central line services. It's the most vulnerable. It's the children in care. It's adults in the community that need supported living. Um, it's it's schools with people providing education. Those are the people that really struggle when councils can't deliver frontline services. They they can. And, and going back to that point about um, you know the the the, the balanced um reasons for why councils fail. Um, I think journalism has a, a responsibility um, for this dilemma because of course they're looking for sound bites, aren't they? It's very difficult to put across, you know, the, the front of the uh, tabloid newspapers, um, uh, local council crashes because of um, funding issues, because of income generation problems, because, you know, that they want, you know, uh, local leader fails you know they want that nice succinct and then of course they can then fit the narrative which is quite easy to do because there is some blame to be proportioned to leadership in these matters I'm sure um, uh, they fit the narrative to that and then of course it starts destroying people's lives and and, and, and to a certain extent that, that that's unfair there are some politicians both at local and a national level to be honest deserve exactly what they get um, I, I, I don't need to tell the listeners about those politicians that disgrace themselves and, and, and our country and, and our communities with their behaviour. But the vast majority of um, councillors are like me. We're, we're not particularly, um, you know, political animals in the sense of I don't I don't want a big argument with Labour and Liberal Democrats. I, I would much prefer we work together. Um, for um, the common good for, for, for the communities we serve. But of course, that's, that's not palatable. That's not palatable to, to, to members of the parties. They actually like this adversarial attacking each other. And of course, the tabloids absolutely love it because of course it sells papers. So it does also, this... it, it detracts from the, from the from, it, it's a smoke and it's a distraction from the, the core issues that the reality is, is that, you know, there are some serious challenges. I've got a real issue with mainstream media's portrayal of local government. It's, it, you know, particularly recently, the BBC came out and was talking about what happened down with um, in Essex. And I get it, they've got to sell papers, but you've got to give the full story. You've got to explain yeah. why councils are having to try and go out there and generate more money. Uh, and you've got to explain, you've got to, you, you know, if you're going to have the, I get it, go, if you want to go out there and sell papers, fine, but at least give some quality around the, selling the full story. And I think the other bit as well, you've gone back to there as well, is, is the trust piece. Because trust, I think, local government for me is is far more important than central government in terms of getting stuff done on a local level and actually the impact on people's lives. But the problem is, is that 
local politicians. I mean, I've got a friend, uh, Dom Sanford, who was running in Birmingham and I was doing delivering leaflets with him. I'm not political at all. I'm not, it's just, I'm just not the smartest bloke. So, you know, I just never really got into it. It was nothing that was really discussed in my house growing up. But, you know, going on doors from people were so angry about, you know, the Conservatives at that point because of what had been happening in central government with the kind of the antics of the, the parties, et cetera, Christmas party, whatever it was. Um, and I think that's a real shame that local politics is kind of tied with the same brush as central government because, you know, everyone I speak to in local government has a real, and obviously there will be exceptions, but there's a real sense of integrity and you're doing it not for the money or, or you know, it, it's not for that. You're doing it because you actually want to make a change to people's lives. And it was interesting, actually, I was talking to... Um, I forget last week, but uh, we were talking about why would you, um, it was Roy uh, from the former leader of Hampshire Council, and he was talking about how much more difficult it is now to get people to go into politics because you just essentially, you're, you know, you whichever way you look at it, you can't, you struggle to deliver services um, with a limited funding pot, which isn't appropriately funded anyway. And then you essentially are punching bag for the public for the issues that aren't, you know, you know, any finish they do have. You know, it's um, it's a really difficult position. I wonder. My question to yourself, Richard, is, you know, would you go back into politics if, if it was now? You know, let's say you've just moved to the area now, as it was, you moved to Daventry, um, so you'd be nearer your children. Would you go into local government now, knowing what you know about local government? Well, I, you know, that's an interesting story because when I joined politics, I, I've got a healthy scepticism and, and and mistrust of the political class primarily because they can never answer a question. Um, so when I went into local politics, I was pleasantly surprised, especially with the constituency work, how much it was like that when I was a, a, a beat sergeant back in the days in Banbury, you know, phone calls coming in, problems they need resolving. It was like, I was like like a community police officer again. I absolutely loved it. And getting out there, the, 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 the problem was is sometimes I didn't have, well, I knew what it, what it would take to get it put right. Unfortunately, there wasn't the money there to do it, which was a frustration. But nevertheless, we did a lot of good. And I, I absolutely loved um, that service. Unfortunately, the when they had the change of um, unitary uh, and the two-tier system, I, I fought a seat partly that I'd, I'd never been before. And the incumbents got in. I, I was unfortunately... Uh, uh, an honourable fourth by about 80 votes or something. But um, but so I've been out of politics now for a little while, but I am gagging to get back in, prim primarily because of the constituency work. Um, I, it, it almost forces you to uh, to do community community service r rather than trying. I, I do voluntary stuff, but, but it's a nice way of having a constant uh, influx of, of work to do in the community with people's problems and helping them resolve them and putting them in contact with the right departments, making sure that they're getting the services they pay for. So I'm really looking forward to that. My issue going back into politics, do I want to take up a leadership position? You know, if if, if I if I did get in next year at the next election and I was offered a position on cabinet or a leadership position within the council, do I really want that? Knowing how tied our hands are really when it comes down to success to delivering the services that the public really need imagine being responsible for um uh, adult social care you know with all the problems um that people have with in their lives that need support and help with the the, the block up of hospital beds because social care packages aren't available imagine being politically responsible for that knowing the answer is to have the NHS probably looking after social care, give all the money to them, let them have this 
this this this one one um, one organisation seeing them from entry into the hospital to being settled back into the community, and, 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 and I'm sure there'll be savings there. Let the NHS take care of that, um, and, and that would be the answer. That would be the answer. But for some reason, there is some resistance to that, and that would be so frustrating, knowing that there are some really simple answers that we can have to improve and streamline services, and knowing that the political masters in Parliament are just reluctant to move down that road for various reasons, whether that be political ideology or or realising that, of course, it was if it was all on the NHS, then there would be no local councillors to blame if social care failed. I, I, you know, I'm being a bit cynical here, but but yeah, so 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 going back into politics, definitely. Um, but whether whether I take a leadership position, I'd have to really think about one, would it be offered? And if it was offered, what sort of portfolio was it? And can I make a difference? Can I add value? Or would I simply be there just waiting to get a kicking when it all goes wrong? I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And that is the question around local politics, you know, and it's uh, invariably people like yourself who want to do good and enjoy doing good that uh, are kind of bridging that gap. And it's a difficult, it's a very difficult role to take on. I guess I've never had, I've never spoken on this, uh, had the opportunity to speak to somebody who's been so senior and so uh, kind of, you know, had such a, a successful career in the police and then has gone into local government politics. Um, in terms of you know that partnership role and approach and kind of cost savings what do you think of you know the, the recent commentary that's been happening around the police forces where they're not going to go to mental health call outs um, anymore do you, do you understand where the police are coming from or what do you think that's the right thing or well, well the, the, the question I, I would ask our listeners is, is, is who is best qualified to um, to look after somebody in a mental health crisis? Is it, is it a police officer um, who's schooled in enforcement and the law, or is it a medical health professional who understands the, 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 the diagnosis and the treatment of people who are mentally ill? Of course, it's, 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 it's the latter. It's somebody who is, 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 is medically qualified to um, stabilize the situation to uh, and to then um, get the person into some sort of uh, long-term care. However, historically we've always attended, you know, I, I've, I've received commendations for pulling people off bridges uh, on at least two occasions. Um, wow. and, and, you know, all of these people will go in mental health crisis. Now, probably you don't need a mental health nurse to go to the bridge and to pull somebody off. You need probably perhaps somebody who is more akin to going hands-on um, and has the infrastructure around them to, 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 to command such a critical incident. So, that, so there's probably a dual role here. Um, that there has to be, uh, where there is a threat to life, where there is a concern for the person's welfare, I, I think, and, and possibly um, uh, combative behavior or, or people carrying weapons. I think the police have to respond to that. With regard to a, a lower key mental health issue, then surely that's got to be down to the NHS. It, it, it just so, so we've got to have structures in place whereby the NHS can have, they have the ambulance service, of course, but have a 24-hour response for mental health crisis. And as well as the police who have that 24-hour response to critical incidents and to threats to life and, 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 and et cetera. 
Um, it's really interesting it's, that just because just just to go back to the second ago because I think that we talked earlier about the media about local you know local about media's representation of of local government, and I think you know I can't argue what you just said there, and I think that's absolutely spot on. I think the way that it's being portrayed in the media is that it's purely about cost savings. Whereas if someone had said it's about suitability of the ability to provide appropriate support and care to those in crisis, that's an entirely different conversation, you know. And it's uh, that, that's really fact. I mean, w- is there anything that you would say that the local government could learn from the police? Obviously, you know, thirty years at Thames Valley Police, you know, is there anything that you think that local government politics or even officers? can learn from how a police forces run? Well, you know, I, 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 I am, you know, my, my dad was a cop. My two brothers were police officers. My uncle was a cop. You know, that if you cut me in half, I suppose, like a stick of rock, the word police would be written through it. And, and I, but, but I, I am an honest critic, a critical friend to the police. The, the police have some, some significant flaws and, and, and some of those have been seen recently. Um, and, but when it comes down to grip, the, the only other thing I would say that I've really brought over from my policing um, service to, uh, to politics is, is grip, is that when something goes wrong, is to, is to grip the situation, to do your best to stabilize whatever is happening. And then once you've stabilized it, then to look for some sort of resolution and a positive outcome. Um, you do find politicians that just don't grip things up. And you see that in some of our senior politicians when something happens. They're very late to the table. You know, as soon as something comes in that it, that, it, that, that requires immediate action, then you need to put into place um, a small team to ensure that you understand what's going on. How can you stabilise it? How can you contain it? And then once you've done that, what are you going to do to resolve it? And I, and I that part of, of, of policing... I found very useful in the political sphere, even on small issues that, that you know, things that would happen or, or problems that would occur in, either in my portfolio or as leader, was always to run run that mantra, okay, let's first of all stabilise everything. Have we got everything in place? Do we understand what's going on? Okay, once we've done that, okay, now how are we going to move forward and put it right? And I think the public would appreciate that rather than sometimes you not being able to get hold of our political leaders. You know, there needs to be more... Um, a, a, a more intimate relationship between the political class and the officer class, you know, between um, politicians and uh, the people that actually run the civil servants. And, and, and if you have that both at a local and a national level, then probably the, the public would have more confidence. Like this, for instance, I was thinking about this um, concrete problem with the, with the schools. Mm. I was thinking if I was the schools minister, I immediately would set up a command centre in, in Whitehall, somewhere in Whitehall, and I would establish, okay, first of all, how big is this problem? Right. And I would have a little in, a little command and get all the intelligence and information about let's, let's, what is the scope? What do we need to find out? How do we stabilise this? And once we, and, and it would go 24-7 until we have gripped up the situation. Once we stabilise it, we know how big the problem is. We can then start thinking, okay, now how are we going to resolve this? And then once you've covered what is the worst possible thing that could happen, I would suggest that is a building crumbling on children. Once you've covered that and everything is stabilised, you've then got time to think about, okay, well, how are we going to put this right? Where's the money going to come from? What's the time scale on it? 
But at the moment, we don't really know how big the problem is and is it stabilised? And there's no one in government who is leading this saying, I'm on charge of this, I'm running a command centre, a critical incident room, and, and, and we are gathering all the information intelligence we need and we are updating the public on a regular basis on how we're getting on. I know Absolutely. that. Yeah, I, I, know, I like it. I like it. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's the inaction that causes so much frustration. Even if you you only could, if you went with this resource is what we can do with this amount of time, but we've dealt with it as you know we've we've dealt with it. You know it's um, absolutely spot on. But um, conscious, uh, we uh, I've I've loved our, our conversation this morning, Richard. It's been generally a great way to start the week, and I just thank you for your honesty and, and integrity, and and for you can you know, your service to the police and and to local government. It's uh, you're an absolute credit. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Matt. Those at home, you've been listening to the truth about local government. It's been myself and Richard Auger. Have a great day. The Truth About Local Government podcast is proud to endorse SUSO, a charity set up to support people from disadvantaged and diverse backgrounds finding roles in entry-level positions within local government legal services. If you are interested in supporting this cause, please find details in the link below. SUSO, stand up, speak out. You have been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Remember, your local council does some amazing work, but you can help. So remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing. If you like this podcast, please like, share and give a five-star review. If you would like to feature on the podcast, have any shout-out of excellent work being done by a local authority, or have any topics you would like covered, please email me at truth about local government at gmail.com truth about local government local government is at the heart of what we do